NCHC runs through the state of Minnesota, Arizona State ranked for the first time ever, and University of Massachusetts Amherst is the class of Hockey East. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joined from the New England area by Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com, and we're going to start with those Minutemen versus Friars games. This weekend, this last weekend in Hockey East, it was a battle of the top two teams. We've seen Providence at the top of this conference for the last few years, but not that many people, even people who really liked Kale McCarr, were saying that the Massachusetts Minutemen, the, the group out of Amherst, was going to be near the top of Hockey East. But we have one on the line with us right now. Chris Lynch from joining us from up in the Boston area. You were saying this at the end of last season to look out for Amherst. And here they are. I mean, full disclosure, I uh, only expected the Minutemen to be fourth in Hockey East. I did think that they would end up making the TD Garden for the Hockey East semifinals at least. And I thought that they would be kind of an outside contender for a spot in the NCAA tournament, which let's keep, well, just keeping a little bit of context for a second that uh, it is still only November. We're, we're recording this on November 14th, and the NCAA tournament does not begin until March. So there are there is still a lot of stuff yet to be determined. But the Minutemen look really, 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 really good. And what's crazy about uh, about that weekend, Kale McCarr did not have a single point in these two games against Providence. And the Minutemen were outshot in both games by pretty substantial margins, 31 to 21 in the first game and 31 to 13 in the second game, including 15 to two in the last period of the second game in Providence and they won both games. So these, this weekend, which was a very good weekend for UMass and they're up to number four in the nation, which is the highest that this program has ever been ranked in the national polls. If, uh, if I've, if I've got my memory and I've got my details, correct. It's a great performance. It's a great program. It's an excellent team. There's a lot more work they can get, uh, can, can get done, which I think should signify two things. One is that there's a lot of competition for them to get through, and they're a couple bounces away from either being one and one this weekend or oh and two this weekend, which A, college hockey is tight, and B, UMass beat Providence, who was the preseason favorite for a lot of people to win hockey East, and UMass beat them even though they didn't play their best. The Minutemen can get a lot better than what they did this weekend, which is a little bit scary to think of. To me, the difference between a good team and a great team has always been how you do when plan A isn't quite working. And to see the Minutemen win a couple of games without McCarr taking the starring role, without having a an advantage in shots, and they still take two wins, that's winning with plan B. And that's a good sign early. As you mentioned, still early. And I'll build off that point by saying, especially in Hockey East, we've seen plenty of teams in recent years that were not near the top of the conference around Thanksgiving that ended up either winning the conference or giving it a run for its money. So lots to still be determined. But this was a season where – the Minutemen, they, they've had this program. They've never really had high expectations. This is as close as they've had to expectations with as good as Makar is and as celebrated a prospect as he is. So to get off to a good start, that's not nothing. That's a big way to get a season going because there was a little bit of pressure on a team like that. You know player, you know everyone else is going to be looking for that Makar and to see he's played well this to this point in the season and the Minutemen have played better than expected. That's a great sign for a program that has a long way to go, but they're building something there. Oh, they're definitely working on building something here. I mean, they had a big crowd in Amherst. They had, and now that they've got a little bit of a track record of winning these big games, they had that playoff series against Vermont last year where the crowd was incredible and the quality of play was awesome, which that series is the, my biggest impetus for having as big hopes as I do for, uh, for UMass in a lot of ways, at least. Uh, but 
to see them develop still since then, they actually can battle back from... Because uh, both these games followed a really interesting arc. UMass got the first two goals, and some of the goals in these games were kind of weak goals by Providence. And Nate Lehman, the Friars head coach, was very unhappy about some of these goals, particularly the Saturday night game in Providence. Hayden Hockey had a pretty bad game. He faced 13 shots and allowed three goals. And one of those goals was on a power play that Providence had. He stick-handled the puck behind the net. Brett Boeing, who's a senior who's been with UMass through the worst of it, through the 17 losses, he is the he's one of the last players who was there when John Nicoletto was the head coach for the 15-16 season. Boeing picked hockey's pocket behind his net and deposited a backhander into the net to make it 2 nothing on a shorthanded power play for his fourth goal of the season. And he's looked really good throughout big parts of the early going. You know, Anthony Delgaizo looks really strong. Colin Felix looks pretty nice. And by the way, Boeing had an assist on Delgaizo's goal that was the game winner in the third. It's not just a, uh, a one-group bunch. It's not just Makar and Ferraro, Mario Ferraro carrying the carrying the water for the minute. Man, they have real depth. But also, I think that from the Providence perspective, I think you've got to be at least a little bit concerned about how these were two perfectly winnable games, particularly the one at home. But Matt Murray completely robbed them blind, which UMass finally has a goaltender with some consistency and with some stability. And a lot of programs like that. So for I think there's plenty to draw from both perspectives, but I wonder... I don't think Nate Lehman will push the panic button after this weekend at all. I just think that they got some bad bounces and they didn't help themselves is what they'll take away from it, ultimately. Well, Providence is, of course, a very strong team and they've been off to, well, they have a good record so far, but they've been off to a bit of a weird start. They took care of business in the first weekends of the season. They they waxed American International in Miami they lost to Notre Dame in the final of the icebreaker. They beat Connecticut. Then they tied with Sacred Heart. They destroyed Boston University 5-0. That you have to win those conference games if you want to make that leap. They went on to beat Holy Cross 3-0. And now they've been swept by the University of Massachusetts. What that means at the end of the day is so far... Providence hasn't beaten a ranked team, and they're off to a bit of a stutter start. You have that tie with Sacred Heart looming large, lost to Notre Dame, losses to Massachusetts Amherst. These, Except for the tie, it's not regrettable stuff. These are all good teams that they're beating, but they're a good team too. And when you're toward the top of the standings, you expect to be able to play these tough teams and maybe split with them, maybe even sweep them occasionally. So there's a little bit of work to be done for Providence. I don't think it's time for Lehman to hit the panic button by any means, but not this weekend, but next weekend, they're going to be at Denver at Magnus Arena. And I think it's getting to the point where they're going to really need a win. I don't know about need a win, but they'd really like a win in one of those two games at Magnus. Get that first win over a ranked team. Get them really kick-started in Providence. I mean, before then, this weekend, they – have to clear a hurdle that we consistently harp on. They have to go to North Andover and play Merrimack at Lawler Rink, a place where, stop if you've heard this before, they've had a little bit of trouble in recent years. So, you know, they have conference games this week against a team that plays them really tough. They didn't lose to Merrimack last season. They had a 2-1 victory at home and a 6-6 tie in Merrimack, a game that they should have won. I think they were up 6-4 at one point in that game, but ended up with just a 6-6 tie at Lawler. So, I mean, yeah, the Denver weekend is going to loom the largest for the next couple of weeks, but really your first big concern is getting conference wins because for just sorting out the standings in Hockey East and whether or not you get a first-round buy, particularly with uh, with – with Hockey East slightly altering their playoff format with being at 11 teams in conference. So the top eight teams in Hockey East will move on. Teams 9, 10, and 11 
will be done at the end of the regular season. Teams eight to one will move on to the tournament. So with the with the changed playoff format, that does mean a lot for Merrimack, which means they're going to come out and attack, which means that they're going to give you fits, which means that Providence has some work to do, particularly in a place where, well, at least last year, they ran into some trouble, and Merrimack's looked pretty decent so far this year against uh, against conference foes. In fact, you mentioned the hockey standings. Merrimack and Providence are currently tied with four points in conference, so it, it's still very, very early in the conference schedule, but that's that's a game between teams that are even in the standings at the moment in Hockey East, so Providence needs to separate themselves, especially from, and I mean no offense to a program that's made some strides this year, and I think coming in, we did not expect much out of Merrimack, but they've been tough at home, and you got to win those games. you got to separate yourself from the Merrimacks of the world if you're Providence, and going into Lawler, that's no small task these days, so... That will be an interesting one this weekend for Providence. But as I said before, the Denver meetings are going to loom large. And speaking of Denver, you know, I think we're becoming, we're getting closer and closer to really officially becoming broadcasters because I think I might have accidentally put the broadcasters curse on the Pioneers last week by pointing out that they didn't have a loss yet because St. Cloud State took it to him in Herb Brooks National Hockey Center, winning two games by a score of four to three each night. And that's what I meant when I said earlier that the road to the NCHC firmly runs through the state of Minnesota. I mean, the state of hockey. Uh, we spend a lot of time talking about uh, the quality of competition out east, but, uh, I mean, Duluth's the reigning national champions. The Gophers are having a down year this year but they're regular competitors Bemidji State is also in the ranks of at least the most defensively sound teams I think they're second or uh, their third rather on the uh, on uh, nationally for the fewest goals allowed per game or excuse me they're second right behind Bowling Green problem is they're pretty far down the list for uh, for offensive scoring but uh, but St. Cloud's a regular competitor. Duluth's a regular, and uh, Minnesota State man Cato are all. Those are your top three teams in the nation right now, and all of them deservedly so. And it's kind of a miracle for Denver that at least the second game was as close as it was. I mean, Devin Cooley should uh, be uh, his teammate should be making him dinner for for the next week for how he managed to keep these games close he faced 39 shots the first night and made 35 saves his offense only generated 24 shots which is a lot a lot considering the next night the saint cloud outshot the pioneers 41 to 18 and still it was only a four to three score saint cloud absolutely could have run this score up a lot more and uh Cooley with 37 saves. That's a case of a goaltender who has certainly earned a job. And those were big skates he was sliding into after uh, after Tanner Gillette graduated, having won a national championship and a Mike Richter award. I mean, Cooley is probably the best thing going right now for that pioneer team. And I was about to say it probably wasn't a St. Cloud took a two Denver just off the score output, but really off of the pace of game. Oh yeah. You could definitely say that it was a took it to him. The second period of that Saturday game, 16, three were the shots. In fact, Denver did not have a period in which they got double digit shots for the Saturday game. They had one on the whole weekend. It was the first period of the game and they still of the first game and they still got outshot 15 to 10 by five. So uh Yeah. And they gave up three consecutive goals to close out the uh, the second period to Nolan Walker, Patrick Newell, and Jimmy Schultz, which, by the way, Jimmy Schultz is still a big-time player for that St. Cloud State team. And we, at least out here, haven't considered him as as big a threat on the blue line with McCarr and uh, being a much bigger piece and Davies being a big uh, threat at Northeastern for the best blue liner in the, in the country. So, yeah, St. Cloud – they earned it. They earned their victories, and Denver's got some things to work on. For, for it's them. a big year for defense in in college hockey in general. It's just a good crop of defensemen in college hockey right now. 
Yeah, that's about accurate. I mean, Schultz is probably, well, Schultz might be the NCHC's best uh, that they've got going right now. I still think Makar is, maybe I'm biased. Uh, okay, I am biased. But I still think Makar is your best total package defenseman for just the impact that he has on uh, on the game going both ways. But, you know, there's still plenty to sort out. But, yeah, St. Cloud earned these these two victories, and they absolutely look like the top team in the nation. Or they would if there were no Minnesota Duluth to uh, to contend with. Yeah, Minnesota Duluth took care of business at home and then some against Colorado College, a team that we've been keen on for the last couple of years. But in the weekend, the grand total, 8-1. to one. When you have a weekend where you end up with, with a final score of 3 nothing and 5-1, that's an 8-1 to one difference. That's an impressive weekend for Minnesota Duluth. They were they came in as the number one team in the country, and they did not dissuade anyone from that notion the way they played. And mind you that this is a team that last year in the NCAA tournament played three 2-1 games to win the national championship, and the first one that they played was a 3-2 game that they won in overtime over Mankato. So, I mean, this is a team that, has built its identity through a blue line that last year, five freshmen and one sophomore. This year, I mean, it's still a uh, it's still a pretty young young defense. I mean, Scott Perunovich is only a sophomore, but he has 13 assists. I'm going to repeat that number again. 13 assists in 10 games and a goal for 14 points. He's the nation's leader in assists by a not small amount so it's a it's kind of a crazy uh sequence that uh that Duluth followed last year and they're showing more that they have the offensive punch to follow it up as well you know they don't have to rely on just that blue line they can still suffocate you with that blue line and even after you get through that blue line you still have to beat Hunter Shepard and he didn't get a lot of pressure but he still only gave up one goal on the weekend to a Colorado college team that uh, has a bit more growing to do, but still Nick Halloran is, uh, is no small piece of, uh, of, a, of an offense, whatever offense he's playing on. So, yeah, I mean, Duluth the number one team in the nation and I don't think there's any possible way to argue it. I mean, Minnesota state is also the top team in the WCHA right now. And there's really no way to argue that as well. The state of hockey is rightly earning its nickname. And another big weekend ahead for Minnesota Duluth. They travel down to Magnus Arena to play a Denver team that's really going to feel a need to get back on the winning side after the weekend they had at St. Cloud State. No shame in getting swept at Herb Brooks National Hockey Center, but it's the NCHC. You can't take a weekend off. You can't take anything for granted. And everyone, and I mean everyone, has a target on their back in that conference. I mean, that's why that's why it's the best conference going right now. And it's uh, this is going to be a fun stretch for uh, for Duluth because, well, they do get the Thanksgiving weekend off, but the next time they return home, they get North Dakota, which do you really want North Dakota coming into your building at any point? And Denver, I mean, they have this weekend against Duluth, and then they get Providence, and then they have to go to North Dakota again. Do you want to, uh, as bad as uh, it is having the Fighting Hawks coming into your building, you don't want to go to Ralph Engelstad. You might be so distracted by the beauty of the building that you forget you're playing one of the best teams in the country. Have fun with that, guys. Yeah, it doesn't get easy, the NCHC schedule at any real point for any of these schools, and it's really ratcheting up for Denver. So they're up against the gauntlet. We talked a little bit about it last week. It's hard to not keep talking about it. They're just going to face ranked teams over and over again. That takes them all the way into the break. They're playing some of the best teams in the country all the way into Christmas break, and they come out of that break on December 28th, and where are they? They're at Lawler Arena, where we've already talked about. No one wants to go into Lawler at this point, even if it is Merrimack with all the with, with all the perception that we might have of that program. You don't want to play them when they're in North Andover. So 
it just doesn't get easy at any point in the season for these NCHC schools. And Denver, the the two first losses of the season, that's a rough one. They're going to need something against Minnesota Duluth, and that is a tall order, even if they're at home at Magnus. So that's going to be a big one out in the NCHC. The other major topic of this week, and I touched on it in the intro, we have a new ranked team. You mentioned that Massachusetts Amherst, this is the highest ranking they've ever had, at least to the best of our recollection. This is by far the highest ranking Arizona State has ever had because it's the first ranking Arizona State has ever had. The Sun Devils are 9-3-0. and They are coming off of a sweep of Michigan State at Oceanside Ice Arena in Tempe, which, as we all know, is right there on the ocean. And it's looking good. They've got a weekend. They're at Bright Landry this weekend. They're playing Harvard. That's no small task, beating Harvard in Alston. That that can be rough, but here come the Ice Devils. They're on a three-game win streak. They're 9-3-0. and and they're ranked in the USCHO poll for the very first time in program history. What a remarkable job that they've done so far. We've talked about how good Johnny Walker is, and of course he is leading that team, but there's more to it than just one guy. You don't get to this kind of a record with just one guy. Yeah, and actually Walker didn't have, I'm looking through the boxes of uh, both these games, so the first game was a five to four victory over 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 Sparty. The second night was two nothing. Walker didn't have a point. He didn't have a goal. He didn't have an assist. And from what I could tell, that's probably the first time so far this year that Walker hasn't figured into the scoring for the Sun Devils at all. Um, so that's just that's just a curious situation to to point out that their best player wasn't a factor in the scoring, and they still won. It's a similar way to, and again with UMass Amherst, Plan A of Kale McCarr and Ferraro didn't do that much. I mean, part of their Plan A is also John Leonard, and he had another highlight goal. But Walker is Plan A for them. But and I mean, Taro uh, Hirose is the next uh, is the next guy down the line. He only had his fifth goal of the year, and uh, and it's it's a it's a team package up scoring kind of deal. And by the way, this team is a goaltender as well. Joey Dackard, who is uh, I'm looking at uh, his list right now. He's an Ottawa Senators draft pick. By the way, Ottawa could use pretty much anyone on their team at this point. But he's supporting a 930-930 save percentage and a 209 goals against. Now, the, the goals against average is really more a uh, uh, result of his his team's efforts. It's also worth noting that he's playing almost all of his team's ice time. He's been on the ice for the Sun Devils 99.4% of the time so far this year. He's been in all 12 games. He's gotten all 12 decisions, and three of those games have been shutouts. You know, the Sun Devils have a real goaltender and have some real defense. Dackard is uh, is a junior and is a draft pick for them, and this is one of the coolest stories in college sports right now. In part, also, their coach, Greg Powers, is an Arizona State alum. He's originally from Indianapolis. He went to the Cronkite School of journalism and mass communications. He graduated from there, but he came back to be an assistant coach with their club team and uh, ended up becoming the head coach in 2010. And he was, he led them to be a power in the ACHA in the, in club levels, led them to a national championship on that level in uh, 2014. And has been the head coach there through that transition. So, I mean, if in the way too early way too early category for award consideration i mean does anyone other than greg powers get the penrose this year for best college hockey coach if the sun devils can keep this pace up i i it's hard to argue against it at least right now it is as you mentioned extremely early but 
regardless of what happens the rest of the season, there is some believability now with Arizona State. It might have been a bit of a shock to a lot of students on campus when they went D1. I've heard people suggest in the past that maybe a student body that's a little more used to football, basketball, and baseball wasn't quite ready for college hockey, but when you start winning, everyone likes any sport and the believability is getting to be there with the sun devils and with having a couple of premier players, they can see what college hockey can really be. And yeah, sure. They're not going to be national title contenders. I don't think they probably, it's going to be tough for them to even make the NCAA tournament, but simply to have a good season in just their fourth year to make some waves it changes the program and it builds something for the future. And it again, installs that believability. You really don't need to look any further than Penn state. The only program that's close to them in age, really to see how much a couple of, of wins and a couple of players can change everything and just rocket a team from nice to see a good start to wow, this might be a factor in college hockey moving forward. So it's still, they've got a long way to go still in in Arizona State. But it's good to see that early milestone. They have a number next to their name. They can build on this. Maybe this season, maybe not, but they will build on this. I mean, for whatever it's worth, I do have uh, so, um, a non-hockey thing that I do is during the summertime, I've worked for the last couple of years for a uh, baseball team on Cape Cod called the Brewster Whitecaps. It's a college all-star team. A lot of our players come from Arizona State. There's one particular guy who's um, one of their outfielders. His name is Hunter Bishop, and he'll probably be drafted reasonably high this year. And Bishop, uh, after the 2017 season, uh, I had talked to him about uh, how – you know, what the sports dynamics were at Arizona State. And, you know, baseball is pretty high up there. Football has seen some better days, and basketball has also seen some better days there. But the he also I also noted to him that I cover a lot of college hockey stuff, and he said, oh, yeah, like they're going to be good pretty soon. Like the other athletes at Arizona State, they know that that culture is improving. And that culture is there. You know, they know that Greg Powers wants to turn that team into a contender. So just somewhat of an inside perspective. I mean, other guys for some of the other big teams at that school know the kind of uh, the kind of team that they're trying to build. But also, it's kind of crazy to consider that we're even having a conversation of Arizona State might be an outside shot at the NCAA tournament, which on record and on the quality of teams that they've played so far, they're an outside shot, but they're still a shot. And uh, we shouldn't put much uh, stock into the pairwise as it uh, as it stands right now, but I can't help but take a look at the pairwise rankings. And if we were to consider the NCAA tournament today, Arizona State is fifth on the pairwise grid. Again, I don't think the pairwise really matters that much until you turn – the calendar to late January and then into early February. That's really when the pairwise becomes the most relevant for considerations. But as it stands right now, the Sun Devils would be in the NCAA tournament if we were just going to go off the pairwise rankings, which the fact that this is even a conversation in the slightest bit is crazy. And Greg Powers and his staff and his players are worthy of praise and uh, and uh, being commended for their efforts so far. And of course, we know that's not it's not a schedule like anyone else in the country because Arizona State still doesn't have a conference. So you look at their schedule. They're at Harvard this week. They're at Nebraska Omaha the next week. They're at Princeton the week after that. Then they host Colorado College. Then they host the Desert Hockey Classic in Glendale, Arizona against Clarkson. And then if they win that, the winner of Minnesota State and Minnesota Duluth, which that's a game to circle. It's still a ways away, but that's a game to circle on your schedule. Minnesota State and Duluth will be playing at the Gila River Arena. After that, 
they host Boston College, who we know they really struggle outside of Hockey East the last couple of years. The the path is there. It, it's it's a bizarre schedule, and that's a lot of travel miles, by the way, that's on that schedule. But if they can keep this up, it becomes more believable by the week. It certainly does. I mean, crazier things have happened in uh, in this sport. Well, maybe not, uh, but uh, a little bit of trivia question. Do you know or uh, do you have a guess as to the last time that a non-conference affiliated team made the uh made the ncaa tournament trying to think there were a few there were there were a couple independents right before the realignment so i'm I'm trying to think of who those might have been but yeah there's nothing coming to mind the last time officially so two years in a row alaska anchorage made the ncaa tournament as an independent they upset bc in 91 in the playoffs they got beaten by Lake Superior State the second year in 1992 uh, in their what would have been their second straight year. But the last time that an independent team made the NCAA tournament was in 1991 and 1992. It was Alaska Anchorage. The last time before them was 1988 when Merrimack did it. Good, good point. And moving into next week a little bit and previewing this coming week's action It's going to be a good one. We already talked about Denver and Minnesota Duluth, another one of the prime matchups to watch. Penn State flying high. They're number five in the latest USCHO poll after thrashing, and I mean thrashing, their opponents last week in Robert Morris, 11-6 in Colonials Arena. That's the kind of game Penn State can only have, 11-6. And they're going to be hosting a Michigan team that, yeah, they have a number next to their name. But if there's a team that is ranked that really needs a win, it's Michigan. Yeah, the Wolverines are in kind of a tenuous position. And on Penn State, 5.78 goals for per game. They're the highest scoring team in the nation by a lot. Admittedly, 11 goals will skew that a little bit for you. The next team down... Uh, it's a three-way tie between Harvard, Princeton, and St. Cloud, all of whom have uh, 4.2 goals for per game. I mean, the problem for Harvard is that they also allow 4.2 goals per game, so their goal margin is uh, zero. Princeton has a goal margin of eight. St. Cloud has a goal margin of 24, and Penn State has the second highest goal margin in the nation with 26 more goals scored than given up. In part, they just score so many of them. By the way, number one in that category, Bowling Green at plus 27. Penn State is a plus 26. Michigan is in kind of a curious position. I mean, I think we still do think uh, – I wonder how many rankings and expectations are giving them the benefit of the doubt of having – Quinn Hughes and having made that run to the national tournament last year and into the frozen four last year and how they were a bounce and a save and a shot away from playing for the national championship against Duluth last year. Just so happens that Notre Dame knows what they're doing when they get into these kinds of tournaments. So it's not a very, uh, it's a, it's a very precarious situation that they find themselves in that uh, Michigan finds themselves in. And they're they're going to need Hayden Levine to stand tall, and that is no small task against an offense that they don't have one particular guy who overwhelms the offense or overwhelms your defense, but there's three of the top five scorers in the nation. Nikita Pav- Pavlicek, who's a Penguins draft pick, Alex Limoges, and Evan Barrett, who's a, a Pittsburgh draft pick, are in the top – there are three Nittany Lions in the top five. Uh, Pavlovich is second, tied with uh, the Moges, and Barrett is tied for fourth nationally. 16, 16, and 14 points, respectively. Have as much fun with that as possible for a team that doesn't have consistent goaltending so far this year. Usually when we preview these these upcoming weeks, there are a good slew of games between teams – 
that are ranked that I like to say teams that have numbers next to their name. And those are always the matchups you circle the most. You just want to see it. Polls mean what they mean. We we know, we know. But at the same time, when it's two teams that are ranked very close to each other, we love watching these games. And really, this week, there aren't all that many. We talked about Minnesota, Duluth, and Denver. We talked just now about Penn State and Michigan. And the only other ones between two ranked teams, Cornell has a well, they've got their work cut out for them this weekend. They have Quinnipiac on Friday night. And on Saturday night, still at Liner Rink in Ithaca, they're facing Princeton. So it's going to be quite the weekend for Cornell in the ECAC. And that's a school with some high expectations. They're going to need – they need wins here too. Yeah, Cornell currently ranked 17th in the nation. Princeton at 15 and Quinnipiac at 14. Quinnipiac's a program that they're still looking at last year with some bit of embarrassment, but Quinnipiac is somewhat similar to, Quin- to Cornell last year. They're going with a youth movement of double-digit freshmen joining the lineup with a lot of players from the big winning years, the big championship years, the Frozen Four runs, graduating from Hamden and moving on to playing in the pros or doing or other professional ventures, but that they still carry with them the identity of a bruising and defensive team that can score when it needs to. And that's a team that Cornell will have to worry about. But Princeton, they're in that high caliber offensive category along with Penn State. They're a half step behind them. But if you're only a half step behind Penn State, that still means that they are a wicked offensive team. And by the way, Cornell uh, was knocked out of the ECAC tournament last year by Princeton. I'm sure that there's still some bad blood towards the Tigers for what the Big Reds still feel like was their championship to win. They didn't win it ultimately, but there still is, I assume, I don't know, I'm not that close to that fan base, but I assume that there is still that kind of sentiment. And I just wonder how uh matt galida and the cornell defense response that's a program that's built to win one nothing two one or two nothing wins princeton is built to run the score up and blow you out of the building if you're not quick enough and fast enough on your feet and if there's any holes in your defense which cornell's got some work to do and i just wonder how well they handle expectations so it's it's maybe the most intriguing weekend of any Uh, of any eastern school it probably is at least yeah it it really seems like it is because you look at these these other eastern schools and what they're looking at this weekend harvard gets a test they've they're playing arizona state we just talked about how good arizona state's been it would be a it would be a nice win or two for harvard if they could take one but that's going to be tough You've got in Hockey East, really the story of the day is can teams take care of business? Providence is going to go into Lawler Arena. We've talked about that ad nauseum, how Lawler is a tough place to play. They need to win those games. Boston College, because of their out-of-conference schedule, really can't afford to take a single night off in Hockey East. Northeastern only plays the one game at Vermont, but they need to take care of business against Vermont. It's really about keeping the status quo in Hockey East, and to a degree, the other ECAC games where Princeton plays Colgate, they need to beat Colgate, and Quinnipiac, when on Saturday, also plays Colgate. Those teams are going to be looking to get that win because you have to get the wins against the lower teams in your conferences if you're going to get on top of the of the good teams in it. Yeah, that's that's an accurate description of it. I'll point out for just my own interest, the other matchups that I find to be really intriguing, uh, for one, I'll be at the Harvard-Arizona State game on Friday night, but the BU and Maine matchup is one that, if I were covering this sport 10 or so years ago, this matchup would have been at the top of the radar because these programs were, at the time, at the top of not only the conference but of the sport, so... I'm sorry that I wasn't covering this matchup a couple of years ago, but BU and Maine are two really curious teams that last year were contenders. I mean, BU, of course, won the conference and was a step away from the Frozen Four. Maine was, well, 
Maine was uh, the sixth seed, and they lost two very close games to Providence, and they were on the bubble looking in for uh, for the NCAA tournament. I I just look at that and I think I don't know exactly what to make of that matchup and uh, of that series. So that's the other one that I'm keeping an eye on with uh, with some bit of intrigue. And I could say the same thing about the UMass Lowell UConn series. UConn is a young team as well. They they follow the the Quinnipiac style of they're playing ten freshmen, like nine or ten freshmen in their lineup pretty regularly, including at least one of their goaltenders. So, uh, and Lowell is a program that's kind of in a rebuilding phase after their glory runs of making five consecutive Hockey East championship games and winning three of them. I just look at that weekend and I think that's such a curious series of matchups because they could go either way. And these, you feel like these teams probably should be at least a step above where they are, but you know, this is what we have. A sweep for either could really kick them into a higher gear. And you you saw Connecticut, we're recording this on a Wednesday, you saw Connecticut last night against Brown. Indeed I did, and truth be told, it was not a very pretty game to pay attention to. I mean, I saw a lot of bad passing. I saw a lot of checks that just looked a bit like, it looked like at times it was a scrum sport instead of uh, cleaning up the up, up the speed sport. I mean, it wasn't that pretty a game to watch. It was a good showing for UConn that, A, the Huskies could get a victory, B, to prove that they've got two goaltenders who are NHL draft picks, one of whom, Adam Huska, who didn't get the start last night, but he's a quality collegiate hockey goaltender. He will he will keep the Huskies in games. And the other one is uh, Tomas Vamaka, who is a – uh, player from the Czech Republic, who I should note, by the way, UConn has done a really interestingly good job of getting a lot of international players. I mean, the two goaltenders, Huska is uh, from Slovakia, and Vamaka is is a Czech player, and uh, Ruslan Iskakov is a Russian, and they had for a while, they've been recruiting a number of, Maxim Latunov was uh, also a Russian player. So they've had for a while a number of high, high, high caliber international pieces, but it's a young team that's still figuring itself out. I do think they're on the rise, and I think they're probably better than the ugly kind of matchup we saw last night, but I don't know. It's just one of those curious kind of nights, that uh, curious kind of teams that I think you should keep your eye on, and I definitely will moving forward. It will be a good one, and it will be a good test for both of these teams to see if one of them can get back on track and start to get some some points in Hockey East because, as you mentioned, if you're in the bottom three spots of Hockey East when the season ends, your season ends. So that's every game becomes a little bit more important with that looming large, especially you look at those standings, and there's Lowell right down there toward the bottom – that's not where under Norm Bazin, that's not where they expect to be. So they're going to be feeling some internal pressure, I would imagine, to get some wins and to start to bring themselves back into the fold in Hockey East. And I think they can do that, but it should be, it could be a big weekend for Connecticut if they were to get the sweep and to vault themselves into the mix in Hockey East themselves. Because again, I I think that they're kind of a a comparable program, not in terms of how they're built, but in terms of how they're building to the Minutemen in Amherst. So it will, it would be a bit of, it would help this whole changing of the guard in hockey East, or maybe rather this installing of parody in hockey East might be the best way to say it, to see Connecticut continue to rise. And I think under Mike Cavanaugh, they will sooner or later, but this could be a big weekend for them in that regard. And moving on to one final note, the NHL Hall of Fame, the pro, the Hockey Hall of Fame, rather, inducted a few members just this week. And among them was Martin St. Louis, who I went and checked with someone from the Vermont Hockey blog on this. I, I very much did my research on this so I can be comfortable saying this. 
pretty sure he's the best hockey player to come out of the University of Vermont. Congratulations to Martin St. Louis on being inducted into the Hall of Fame. That's another college hockey alum that goes into the Hall. There aren't that many, but the ones that are there, we will never forget. And he joins those ranks. I mean... I mean, he's one of the most deserving people to have uh, to have ever played. I mean, an undrafted player who made his made his name in a giant, gigantic way. Congratulations to one of the best players that ever came out of the ECAC. Because remember that Vermont only joined Hockey East in two thousand five. For most of their history, they were uh, they were a member of the ECAC until very, very recently. So. And in terms of how he stacks up for the other great players who came out of Vermont, I mean, for career goal leaders, San Luis is third behind Tim O'Connell and Eric Perrin. Uh, Kirk McCaskill is a little bit further down. San Luis is also the career assists leader in the history of Vermont. 176 assists from 1993 to 1997. Eric Perrin played about the same time, those same years, 149 assists, capped off with a run to the Frozen Four in 1996. And your other, probably your other main contender for best player to come out of Vermont is Tim Thomas, two-time Vesna Trophy winner, Stanley Cup and Conn Smythe winner with the Bruins in his time with them, would probably be my guess for uh, who your who your other great Catamount players are. But yeah. Um, absolutely deserving for Martin San Louis. And on a personal note, my first ever NHL game was in Tampa in 2006. They played the Florida Panthers. Marty San Louis scored the shootout winning goal to get the victory for the Lightning. So I've got uh, some bit of personal affinity for him as well, for him writing some hockey memories of mine from my youth. I was in the building last year when they raised his name and number up to the rafters in Amelie Arena, formerly the, formerly a lot of things, the St. Pete Times Forum and the Ice Palace. And really, when people talk about down here in Tampa, and I've talked about it several times, that this this area has become a real hockey town in a lot of respects. And a lot of that can be traced right back to that 2004 team. And St. Louis was, of course, one of the leaders on it. He's still really well-liked around this area. They love when he comes back to the arena. He gets a huge ovation every time he does. Um, Occasionally, he and Vinny LeCavalier will kind of go back and forth with each other about Martin St. Louis is not the largest of hockey players, and that comes up occasionally as, as a nice little joke. He's he's well-liked, and early commitments don't mean a whole lot, but another personal level reason for me to like him, his son Ryan has committed to Northeastern. Of course, he's got a few years of high school left to go before he makes it to the Huskies, but that's a good thing for guys like me to hear. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, those early commitments can change. I mean, uh, Johnny Gaudreau was committed at one point to Northeastern, but I mean, Albie O'Connell moving was one of the big uh, reasons why O'Connell moving over to Harvard was a big point of it, but best of luck and hope that he ends up staying at uh, at Northeastern and congratulations to one of the greatest college hockey players, one of the greatest hockey players of all time who happened to make his way through the undrafted ranks and really is the poster child for why you should pay attention to, uh, uh, the skill guys coming out of college hockey. They can be some skill guys and some gritty heart guys for you. San Luis won the heart trophy in 2004 and was one of the big reasons why the Lightning have a Stanley Cup to their name. One of the best of all time and one of my, at least one of my personal favorites and seems like one of yours as well. Yeah, he's a great guy. Everyone likes him. There's there's no reason to not want to root for him. And it was great to see him get his moment in Toronto, getting enshrined. He he certainly earned it. And you mentioned a few names. You mentioned the great players to come out of college hockey. This offseason, folks, and it's a long way away, but stay tuned. I'm sure we might do one of those Puck University specials about the greatest players to come out of college hockey. Cause I've been thinking about that a lot the last couple of weeks personally. So that's a thing to, 
to keep a pin in and to keep uh, keep under your hat because we'll be talking about the great players to come out of college hockey moving forward quite a bit, including the many great players that are in there right now. Chris, where are you going to be this weekend for InsideHockey.com? I'm at Harvard on Friday night. I am getting to bounce around in the in the Boston area. Well, for for two nights, I'm at Harvard for when they host Arizona State on Friday night. I'm really curious to see uh, what is what Arizona State looks like, what kind of team that they put on the ice. I really want to see Johnny Walker play. I hope he. I'd, I'd be curious to see how uh, he can get some offense, get some goals. I don't know exactly what to uh, what to look for from the rest of that team exactly, but I'm sure they'll put up a good showing. I'm going to BU for Saturday night. I'm catching uh, the nightcap against Maine, and also I'm just as a fan, I'm going to be attending the Harvard-Yale football game, which is at Fenway Park, the stones throw away from McGannis, so that timing just worked out nicely. And then Sunday, I am in Amherst. I'm covering the game between the UMass Minutemen and the New Hampshire Wildcats as the uh, as the conclusion to uh, to the weekend. So I'm kind of excited to get to see what ends up happening. You can follow Chris on Twitter at CC Lynch Wall. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Writes Sports. Please follow this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Help us grow. Help tell a friend. Tell someone that loves college hockey. There is somewhere to hear people just talking about your sport just a little bit more. We try and take that national focus. So spread the word around. Help us grow this thing. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, keep your head up and your hits clean.